Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. looking to take advantage. Felina Sal couldn't collect it, neither could Mike Sell, and now Toronto with it. Levos frees it up to McKenzie. Arrows four meters out. And there is your first score of the second half. Mike Shepard for the Arrows ends a 21-point run from the Sabercats with his try. Shepard, the 30-year-old, the lock, former Stony Creek Campbell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. However, they're not important. Because tonight, we have some very special guests with us. Uh, the gentlemen from the Rugby Rant Podcast, Ty Barga and Rob Hammerschmidt. Guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast tonight. Uh, we are excited to have you guys on. Thanks for having us. You know, I've only been up, up north uh, once on a rugby trip, uh, but it's, it's good to be up there a second time virtually, of course. <laughs> Well, obviously, I'm very happy to be here. You guys will obviously uh, be doing great things yourself for rugby in Canada. And what a great crossover, right, for us to, so to speak, cross the border, Rob. <laughs> yeah. This, this is as close as crossing the border we can get right now. So uh, right, true we, that. we appreciate you guys come on. So one of the things that we like to do when we have our uh, guests come on is we like to ask a little bit about your background in rugby and, and, and your own personal flair to it. So, uh, gentlemen, my first question to you is, where did you get started in rugby? You know, uh, it's always interesting to hear where, where the, the passion started. So, so I want to kind of hear from you guys. I'll let Rob uh, take this first uh, one, and I'll uh, take the second. Uh, I had a rather unique path to rugby. Uh, most Americans catch rugby sometime in college, and usually it's a, you know, a knockabout social club game. Um, I actually didn't start playing rugby until I was uh, 24, 25. Um, I'm a school teacher, and so the, the, the school I work at, I had a mom that came in and talked to me, and, and um, she's she you know, fit right in at any dock or any wharf that you're ever going to find. And she says, you know, you look pretty athletic. And I said, well, I play flag football. And she says, yeah, that's sports for you finished the, the statement. And, and I said, okay. And she said, come out for rugby. So I came out one night and um, for training and, and have a look back. It's, it's without a doubt um, my favorite sport. I'm super passionate. So I, I, so to, I played for the Chicago blaze by the way, um, there's a nice uh, picture back there, uh, a schematic of our of our old grounds. Now we have a new clubhouse. And it's beautiful. It's nice when when clubs kind of put in the effort into having pieces like that, kind of show a little bit of the history. It's it's really nice. Yeah, what about you, Ty? What, where, where did you start the, the, the word of the fire start? I should probably start off by saying that, uh, well, I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa. So to say South Africa means that you live, eat, and breathe rugby, right? <laughs> so it's fair to assume that I was introduced to it as a pretty young age from seven years old. You know, you're playing contact rugby as young as that, uh, although it'd be barefoot, 
you know, you learn rugby at a very young age. And so your heroes end up being rugby personalities. You know, every kid grows up wanting to be a Springbok. So the culture in a tier one rugby nation around rugby is obviously very different. Yet, you know, I had grown up in the great age grades. I was fortunate enough to be able to play Craven Week rugby as a flanker. Um, later, when I got to, to, to upper levels, I realized I was no longer big enough to play as a flanker. <laughs> I got moved to, to, to playing sevens as a uh, hooker, and then I tried hooker. Um, I ended up, fortunately enough, uh, when I left South Africa uh, on a two-year work holiday visa to the UK, and uh, I was 19 at the time and I got an opportunity to be able to meet. In fact, Rob doesn't even know this story. I got a chance to meet one of my rugby heroes by chance in a local bar at a rugby social. And it was Cornet Cricker, who used to be the Springbok captain. And, and I'm like, shit, I know this guy. Is it? Is it? No? Yes? No? It is. <laughs> um, so to cut a long story short, after a number of beers that evening, uh, I was convinced to come down and play some, some rugby and I got a chance to be able to play underneath the Northampton Saints Colts side, um, which was uh, academy level. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't manage to progress very far as I'd injured myself as, um, you know, rugby players who are retired are either injured or are too old, right? <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, I definitely became one of those far earlier than I should have. And if you fast forward, you know, rugby was always a part of my life. Some of the greatest moments in my life have been around rugby, especially when you, when you count that it's so entrenched in rugby, sorry, in the history of South Africa. But as I came to the U.S. very recently, I looked for a community of people when I was new in the country and I had never been here before. My wife's from the U.S. and she and I have been traveling the world for 10 years while working on cruise ships. We came here looking for community. And where do you find that? With the people you know who are like-minded, right? And you find that with yeah. rugby. Um, so I got an opportunity meeting Dallin Stanford through, through that same community. He gave me a chance to be able to audition to be a uh, announcer at Rugby Town USA for the Raptors. And uh, I managed to take up that position as the Raptors announcer and will now be, of course, with the Rugby Town organization uh, for the remainder. So very, very happy. You know, it's so interesting, you know, uh, two guys, very different stories, but uh, both both love the game. And, you know, uh, Ty, your stories uh, near the end of it about uh, going to a new country and finding a rugby club and, and, and a group to kind of call your own. This guy, DTH, when he came to Canada, had a very similar story. You know, he, he came and, and he, was, it, he said this in, in a podcast that uh, from the Looseheads group. Um, he was saying that when, when he first came to Canada in, in Saskatchewan, uh, uh, Saskatchewan, I think it was in Regina. He was saying that the the rugby club is like right across from the airport. So he went from like the air, airport straight to the rugby club, and, and you know met some of his future <laughs> teammates. And because of the fact that uh, he was in the high school level, uh, one of the high school coaches was there, and they had him enrolled like the next day at the high school, so that right. way he could play a rugby for them because they all realized how you know amazing the South African kid was. So it is quite amazing how how quickly you can form a community if you just find a rugby club. Now, uh, Ty, you answered this question a little bit, um, but if you're going to say, uh, what position would you say that, uh, that you played most frequently? Uh, I would say probably at seven, open side flanker, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and then probably later. Well, I'll tell you a funny thing about that is, so when I moved to the UK, first they tried to be able to put me at inside center and all I kept doing was running forward, running straight. And then the guy's like, you know, you can go around them. I said, sir, I've been playing 18 years one way. I can't retrain it. Just like go through them, not around them. <laughs> what about you, Rob? Uh, so when I started with the Chicago Blaze, I started off at second row. <laughs> we were uh, height disadvantaged, and I, you know, I'm six two. So, uh, but I had pretty good hops, you know, and I was able to really get a good uh, a good jump to help the props get get a lift up. Um, I wasn't too heavy. Um, we relied on a mobile a mobile pack, uh, extremely mobile. So I fit right into that system. And then uh, as I learned and began to understand the game better, I moved to the back row, uh, largely number seven. Played a little bit eight. Um, um, but yeah, my mobility was really helpful in that regard. And, and as I picked up the game, I began to understand better how to play Lucy. It's actually Very kind nice. of funny because I also played lock. And yeah. when I informed some members of the Toronto Aero staff that I did that, everybody was like, you're way too short to do that yeah. too. So <laughs> I was, um, I, I'm familiar with playing on the height challenged uh, rugby teams. But, but you know, I, I, I tell you what, I, I still enjoy when I play old boys. I still enjoy being in the line out. I still enjoy being yeah. the first jumper. I think my timing, one of the things I developed is just a good sense of timing for when to jump, when to, you know, uh, steal a ball. Um, so um, it's, it's kind of one thing that I really focused on a lot when I played. Now, gentlemen, who's your, your favorite MLR player to watch? Oh man, that's tough. Oh, man. I know um, for me it's going to be Raptors. Obviously, I spent a lot of time watching them from up in the balcony uh, behind the, uh, with the headset and, and mic. So I, I kind of got a different perspective. But I got to say, whenever whenever something when – when it made it to – I'm going to say the guy's name, Ryberg, okay, probably. Oh, yeah. The reason being, when it came to him, there was always a level of anticipation and excitement. Like, hey, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. But I would then say him for, for MLR in general, but watching Renee Ranger on the field was fantastic as well. Uh, you know, his level of ingenuity on the field, how he could connect, um, he just managed to find that open space, knew when to pass, it didn't hold on all the time. That, you know, it's that level of expertise that, that made it exciting. So um, I, I would say uh, it depends on the year. Uh, like, I'm a NOLA guy, so I really like watching Cam Dolan. Again, he gets he gets into the line out. He steals a lot of ball. He had a three-try game on his birthday last season, which was phenomenal watch. I loved watching him. This year, I was really impressed with Mungo Mason. I hope he comes back to the MLR. Um, he just seemed to have a motor. He was always around the pitch, always at the breakdown, always on on somebody's shoulder ready to receive a ball. Um, Mungo was was unbelievable this year. I really thought he he really showed off his skills. Um, and then just from an individual standpoint, um, a, a guy, uh, Nick Feeks, um, and that's just for personal reasons. He's an LU guy. My son goes and plays at LU, and he's been instrumental, um, you know, just with youth development. And he's the, one of those kind of guys that you just want to have involved in your program and your club because he gives back in spades. So not one answer to that question, but I think it's an honest answer. And that, that's what we want. We want what we want honesty, you know, and that's hearing hearing things like that. You know, that's that's why we, we, we love having you guys on. Um, and, and the last question is, who's your favorite player of all time? I'll field this one first then, Rob. Um, so for me, I touched on a little earlier ago. So being South African, 
1995 rolls around. It's the biggest thing to hit South Africa after isolation, unifies the country. Everybody knows the story. It's inspiring. But one of the most inspiring players to that nation and to me as a young boy, 11 years old, was James Small. James Small out in the wing had the toughest job in rugby that year was to take down Jonah Lohman. Right. And uh, so he had one job. Right. Now, James Small was certainly not such in, in, in well, maybe in stature, but not in personality and tenacity. And, uh, you know, he, he was phenomenal ambassador. He was a little bit of the bad boy uh, off the pitch, but he was great on field, knew where he needed to be, did the job, just a great workhorse for the game. And like I said, he had the one job to be able to stop John Lomer. And, you know, that 15-12 scoreline had no tries scored, so he did his job. And uh, as a result, he was somebody that I looked up to. Uh, for me, I, I guess there's a recurring theme here. Uh, for me, it's a, another South African. Um, when I started playing, the 1995 World Cup was was just finishing up, and, and it was kind of my first introduction to real rugby. And and for the guy that I loved to watch that was just amazing to me was Joost van der Westhuizen. Um, you know, a scrum half, but he just he played like a Lucy. He played like a forward. He had no fear, was always in the mix. He always knew where to go and always knew what to do. He just had an incredible burst of speed whenever he needed it. Um, I loved watching him um, quite a bit. In today's modern game, uh, I really like TJ Paranara, uh, much for the same reasons. Uh, TJ is, you find him in the breakdown, you find him poaching ball, you find him, you know, flying off somebody's shoulder. Uh, the guy never quits. He's like the Energizer buddy. I love watching TJ. Um, you know, so uh, those are two guys, uh, ironically, scrum halves. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I love watch. I love watching those guys. You know, talking about US on the days and one of the greatest, I would say, rivalries, uh, player to player for me was Gregan and uh, Van Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both like awesome players. Yeah. Both had the best inside, and they were like almost perfectly matched. If they were, you know, obviously they couldn't be on the same team, but if they were, they would have probably played incredibly well together because they were so alike. So, gentlemen, now we are going to. Uh get into what the, the meat of the, this this podcast because we're going to be reviewing so far the MLR preseason um so what's going to happen is we're going to kind of go into three rounds and I'm going to give you each a chance to kind of talk about uh certain teams and how how they've done and you know that that can mean certain things because you know some teams have been in terms of signing players pretty quiet um but there are other parts of this. So, Ty, I'm going to get you to start first. And uh, you wanted to talk about Dallas. Well, certainly Dallas is, so to speak, one of the new kids on the block as an expansion team for 2021. Uh, although it's important to note that they've been around as, you know, since the initial uh, start of the league. Obviously, they're only fielding a team in 2021. So how do they do it? Well, the Raptors, unfortunately, are no more. So they went shopping. All right. And uh, what happened was, is unknown to a lot of the fans. And in fact, for quite some time, it was unknown to myself and Rob um, on the Rugby Rant podcast show. We, we were talking, I think, with Blake uh, Rogers, and he revealed that the, uh, that the draft had already happened. We're like, what are you talking about? The MLR draft is coming up. No, no, no. He's talking about the Raptors draft. So behind closed doors, there were you know, disseminating who's going to go where and where the cards lie is that Dallas ends up having quite a few players. So I got it. You know, they've got a good team. What I like though, is they got a young team and they're investing in a lot of youth. So you'd have to assume that they're not thinking 2021, right? Their only measurement of success is to be competitive 
NFO season. 2022, okay, you've got structure now, right? Build some momentum. 2023, we can start to see a legitimate run at the title, I would hope. And of course, every other Dallas fan with that. So what I mean by that is they got a nice mix of a little bit of experience that they picked up through the Raptors player who have got MLR experience, some at a national level service as well. Um, but I, I kind of put together what I thought would be a list, so to speak, with the help of a, a, a friend of ours, uh, Rick, uh, who is uh, Dallas Jackal's uh, Den uh, Facebook, uh, should we say, admin. He's highly involved with them as a fan base. Uh, Skylar Adams. Uh, number one. Okay. So former Austin Gilgronis comes across with MLR experience. Uh, he was the 14th pick uh, for them at the moment. Uh, so that means that, you know, they, they're looking at wrapping up a team. It's not quite there yet. First notable name for me, Chad Goff, right? Now it, he's going to be a great hooker. Um, he's also got sevens experience. He's incredibly mobile. You'll see him out in the wing quite a few times uh, as well. Uh, so he knows he knows how to play the field right across and uh, excellent player there. Uh, Kalepi uh, Fifita, prop again from the Raptors. Uh, he's been there with them from 2018, I think. So again, great experience. Cody O'Neill, uh, Locke. Also flanker experience, so he could be a little versatile in that uh, uh, scrum format. Uh, again, a former Raptor. We got Thurman McFarland, Locke from Samoa, uh, big boy. Um, interestingly enough, um, was playing and contracted to uh, the uh, Manua Samoa team for the Global Rapid Rugby. I'm not sure if many of our viewers are familiar with that. Short-lived. It was brought in by Andrew Forrester, who's heavily linked to the uh, um the Western Force, of course. Uh, then we've got uh, Bronson Tellers. Now, he was one of the uh, the drafted players recently. Very young, right? Another one that's also incredibly young. Um, these are both flankers in mind for them. Tommy Clark. Um, he's an ex-All-American player. So you got young, yet raw talent. So it's easily to, easy to mold. They've got a lot of experience around them. The leadership that's already been identified for Dallas is solid. Um, they're drawing from their player pool and their coaching pool down in Dallas and across Texas. So there's a rich culture to be able to lean upon there. Some of the other notable names, we've got an international here is uh, Rauru Rara. I might be getting that wrong, but it's an Argentinian international uh, with sevens experience for the uh, for the national team and then uh, for the 15s game at an under-20 level. Then you've got uh, Vian Conradi. He's a guy who plays for uh, Namibia. He's a Namibian national. He's a little bit older. I think he's about 34. But again, it's about that experience. He comes with two World Cup rugby campaigns under his name. I think it was 2015 and 2019 as well. In addition to that, he's uh, even before then had played um, at a great level in South Africa, the university level at the Varsity Cup, played for two teams there. So those are very high levels of, of competition that will translate well to in uh, the MLR. Uh, another Raptor here, we've got Colin Nyson. He and Nick Boyer were trading starting positions for 2020 at the Raptors. Both were excellent. And Paul Peter Boles, I, I tell you, must have been torn between the two. I'm very happy to see Denison. We had him on our show uh, a little while back on the rugby rant. Then we were under the, the, the title MLR rant. And uh, he's eager. He's ready to be able to hit the ground running. I think he's going to be a great fit there. And he's looking forward to more game time. Now, here comes a question. Ten. They don't have a solid 10. Not yet, right? 
There are a few rumors as to who it's going to be. Um, it might very well be another Raptor. It might very well be an international signing because they don't have a lot of them yet assigned, right? There's spots open. And then another problem would be at 15. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly run through the, the back line, what I've got it set as, um, because I don't want to take up too much time here, but I could go into an hour just on this team because I know them from the Raptors. So we, we continue with that theme. At 11, young player, Ryan James, he comes out of the Merlins, uh, uh, Glendale Merlins, uh, into the Raptors 2020 roster, although he never had any game time in that truncated season. I think he's only 21, maybe 22. He's small, but he's fast. And he's a great seven-style player. He will need to bulk up. He definitely will um, to be able to take it at 11. I mean, he can play either side, but I put him at 11. Um, 12, I'm really not sure yet. Again, that spot's not quite full, but at 13, I put Chad London, a familiar favorite at that spot. Then we move on to 14. It would be Campbell Johnston. Again, another familiar favorite at that spot, having uh, had great success with the Raptors. And like I said, at 15, we don't know yet. So I guess if I had to sum it up, there's a lot of great talent here but there's a lot of key positions that are yet to be filled. You know, they, 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 uh, they signed quite a young Canadian and Henry, Henry Stevenson as well. So, you know, it's, it's really uh, interesting the bits and pieces that they're kind of storing away for the future. You know, you've mentioned a few locks, so it'll be interesting to see where Henry kind of goes on that, to- that, that uh, packing order. Hi, I'm kind of curious before Dan kind of moves on here. You mentioned at the start there that you were anticipating that, you know, it would take to like say 2023 for Dallas to kind of maybe make a run at the shield. Um, do you think that's just like, like why, why do you think that is? Cause like we've seen in the past here where, you know, Toronto and New York made the playoffs in their first years, the expansion teams, you know, Atlanta, old glory. Um, they looked really well or really good in the five game 2020 season here. Um, New England free Jacks were at the bottom of the Eastern conference, but um, like they had a big win against Rooney to start the year. So it's like, they've been shown that they can compete. So why, like, I'm just curious, like, in, in your opinion, why you think it might take a little bit longer for them to be a bit more of a competitive team? I, I guess it's probably just a little bit about what the strategy I believe should be. I think oh. that if you're setting expectations, they should always be realistic in a manner that you can achieve them. And then if you exceed those expectations, fans will be happy, investors will be happy, players will be happy, and that culture will grow from there. So it's a series of small victories. Yes, you want to be able to shoot with the stars and hit the moon as well. But I think in 2021, with so many variables ahead of us, we don't know what the play conditions will be. We don't know what the season would look like. Is it going to be a shortened version? So let's just say 2021 is going to be an experiment for everyone. All right. You know, if I could jump in, because I think what Ty is is resonating with me as I think about your question, Derek, is this. Remember that all three of those teams, Atlanta, D.C., and New England, actually got a um, – a season, a kind of a, a, a shortened season prior to entering the MLR. Right. So they had played some exhibition games, you know, and remember some of the like Atlanta uh, loaned Wengaluski up to New York um, prior to then being able to jump in and, and uh, the 2020 season. So I think that's part of it too. They don't, you know, Dallas, LA, and if Kanaloa comes through, they won't have the ability to have that exhibition season full on the year before to really bring some young guys into the fold and develop them the year prior and prepare them to play at the MLR level. 
Yeah, Canaloa is the the story that just keeps on giving, you know. So it's a uh, it's, it's a good big announcement you, later this week. Yeah, it's good that you br- you brought them up, uh, Rob, because uh, who knows what's going to happen there. But Rob, you know, uh, you kind of picked Nola, uh, and like you said, you're you're a Nola guy. So why don't you tell us about what they've been doing? Now, Nola is an interesting team because they're one of the only teams that really have signed multi-year contracts. So they're in, in a way, they're not as busy as some of the other teams. Um, but tell us a little bit about what they've been kind of doing with their team. So um, I kind of went through when, when you guys uh, introduced the idea of talking about a couple of teams. I kind of thought about it in a few ways. And the first thing I thought about, what's some notable information that's come out recently? And one of the biggest things is um, they've retained their core. So I always look at a team that has experience should have guys at the spine positions at two at uh, eight, at nine, at 10, and at 15. And if you guys have, if a team has a core spine that's been around, that's played together, it really helps a team gel. And so if you think about Nola in that regard, for me, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, uh, you guys are familiar with Eric Howard. I mean, that guy is an absolute animal at hook. I love to watch Eric Howard play. He's a great Canadian player. Um, you got, of course, Cam Dolan at eight place for the United States. You got another international there. Um, You got an interesting thing happened at nine. You got Holton Youngert, who's now uh, going into his third season um, with the NOLA gold. And then they just picked up in free agency in Namibian Rugby World Cup 2019 scrum half, uh, Damian Stevens. So they've got some experience happening there at number nine. Uh, and the, the one question in this group is, uh, is it fly off? They'll, they'll have Robbie Coleman, uh, but he only had the five games uh, in 2020 uh, to play with this group and kind of gel with them. And then, of course, you have the guy that's been there since the beginning, J.P. Eloff at fullback. And J.P. is just an electric player. So you put that group together and, and you, you, you really start to go – wow, there's a group with experience and they play together and they understand what uh, Coach Osborne wants to do. And, and that's an important feature too, is that you have Nate Osborne who's been there with from the beginning. He's an established, you know, established a game plan. The players know what he wants. The guys that have been around understand that. Now it's just about bringing the new guys into the fold. Um, then they, they, I go on to key additions. And like I said, Stevens, but also Kyle Rogers, a fullback. So now they got somebody to back up uh, JP. Uh, JP, um, the beginning of 2020, missed a couple of games because of a, um, an issue. I think he had something removed from his melon. Um, so they got some they got some uh, depth there. Uh, and, of course, uh, you, you've got Juan Capiello, who's an Argentinian 15s and a Puma 7s player. Uh, and then the big signing in free agency, Devin Short, uh, a flanker from San Diego. Um, and, and he was traded uh, for a foreign player spot, which is notable because then you start to look at um, what they're trying to do developmentally. So a couple other guys, Kenneth Jenkins, Jonathan Poole, rounding out that. So, again, a nice mix, good core. Nice mix of new guys to bring in uh, with some pretty heavy talent there with some international experience. And then on the developmental level, um, in the draft, they traded up. Uh, they got a big heavy and Brian Nolt for Central Washington. Might be familiar to the guys in the, in the, uh, in the West out there over by Vancouver. Um, and uh, he was the second pick. They picked him up from L.A. They kind of did some uh, wrangling and, and L.A. got a later draft pick. And I think cash and, um, cash and a foreign player spot were exchanged there. Andrew Gara, I got to say, Andrew, because he's, uh, he's one of my guys from Chi- to Chi-Town, from Chicago, came up in Illinois. Um, he's undersized. He's not tall. He's 5'10", but he's built like a freaking bowling ball. Um, and I think developmentally he'll do very well. Uh, and then um, Sam Barry, 
um, as a halfback um, that I think develop, will develop well in the next couple of years, has a lot of experience with the Jesters and the sevens, USA Sevens All-American. So when you look overall at this, um, you know, they just seem to have that balance, right? Uh, <laughs> but for me as a, as a fan, um, I, I, uh, I get my hopes up. And, and I, I just hope that what's on paper can be translated into success on the pitch. I think one of my favorite things about uh, Brian Nault is that he's got a pet kangaroo. Oh, like, really? It's just the strangest thing is like when they, in, when they interviewed is one of the things they talked about during the draft. And, uh, and even, even I'm, I'm right now I'm looking at Major League Rugby's recap of the draft. The last line is Nault also owns a pet kangaroo named Ruru. <laughs> there you go. That's a fun fact for you. Just such a strange thing, but I love it. You know, I mean, rugby, rugby's weird. So, if, if, you, if you have anything to differentiate yourself from a crowd, it's going to be owning a pet kangaroo. Yeah. Maybe, that, you know, <laughs> maybe that raises draft stock. You can bring yeah. the kangaroo to training. It's, uh, be, and you know, those props are a jumper in the lineouts. Props yeah, are different right. dudes anyway, that. man. Props, props we, just are different anyway, man. They, yeah, they live they're, a different life. Mark, it's, yeah. So, um, that's okay. Um, and, you know, I do want to add uh, with NOLA, um, their community outreach is uh, off the charts. Uh, they made it a goal. I, I had a nice conversation with um, owner Tim Falcon. He's actually going to be on the rugby rant here in mid-September. Uh, they made it a goal to, um, I think, get uh, 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 4,000 new fans by the time they start their opening home match they have reached out with kids day with rugby 101 adult events they have one on september 11th going on that's a take like a zoom call uh so i'd encourage fans to join that just see what they got going on um they have 100 new youth programs by the start of 2021 and one of the guys who talked about nick feeks the guy is going to be the la he's the louisiana youth development coordinator so just their commitment to youth rugby and to developing the next generation is um is absolutely amazing. So, and I think that's that's been a big draw for a lot of international guys is coming, like the opportunity to come to America and say that you are a part of the growth of rugby is such a big pull. And I think you know, uh, that I, we've had a couple a couple of, of guys come in. I mean, Ro, Chris Robshaw uh, has certainly mentioned that about about his about his new home. Beast Matara Weeder, the same thing. You know, it was actually highest priority for him was not only to to continue his career somewhere else. I mean, I think that that was almost second to developing the sport here and uh, building roots in a, in a community. Now, Derek, your, your team that uh, you're going to talk about has been uh, a little, little quiet on terms of signing players. Yeah, so uh, I'm starting here with the uh, the Utah Warriors. Um, I'm actually really excited right now because Gaston Mirez just scored a try behind Ty's shoulder. So <laughs> that's my favorite moment about this game that you're playing. Um, I uh, I don't know. Yeah, that. that's not your favorite. Yeah, no, exactly. You had to pick the uh, the pick the one game that the Arrows lost this year. Eh? Just to be like, I'm coming it's on like, the Canadian podcast, so we're gonna just yeah, dig yeah. dig the knife in, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. We turned this game off at halftime anyway. Um, but yeah, so I got the Utah. Warriors um, and you know they've 
traditionally in the first few seasons of the Major League Rugby, they, they've kind of been one of the teams that has been announcing their signings a little bit slower than, say, some of the other teams. Um, so but so as of right now, though, that doesn't mean that they haven't really had an active offseason. They made the first uh, big move of the draft in which um, they traded Robbie Povey to the Houston Sabercats in exchange for two picks. Um, those two picks became Derek Ellingson and Danny Giannascola. Um, they also added, obviously, the two picks that they used with their own selections in John Powers and Elijah Hayes. Um, Personally, I myself was kind of surprised that they um, went with three backs and one prop, but also I'm kind of looking at the, you know, the Utah Warriors roster. It's like they do have a lot of really good players in their forward pack, like Franco Vandenberg, Saya Uhila, Elkington, um, Lance Williams, and uh, Bailey Wilson. Um, but so like they had a really strong, I feel like they had a pretty good draft overall, even though it wasn't something that I was expecting them to do. Um, but you know, beyond that, though, they haven't really announced any other signings, at least from an official standpoint. Um, if you are a Warriors fan, though, like they do have a new podcast series out in which they have Bailey Wilson, he who on in the first episode, uh, the podcast is called Warriors Sagas. And they essentially, during that podcast, Wilson was talking about his excitement for the 2021 season. Um, so it's like everything that he was kind of wording about it seems to, at the very least, imply that he's been signed, even though the team hasn't officially said that. Um, um, same with a couple Instagram posts from John Cullen and Dwayne Pollock uh, Tavo um, on the Warriors official social media where they're talking about their excitement for yes for next year. John Cullen saying that he's happy that um, a big chunk of the core is coming back um, for 2021. It's just the team just hasn't really announced who's actually coming back. Um, so beyond like it's one of those off seasons that you know kind of right now like you can look at it and be like as ty said he's like he thinks dallas is doing a really good job of you know building their team for the off season or um rob is really happy with the way that nola is developing they're really excited that most of the core is back and we know that a lot of the core is back and even how long that they're back for um whereas utah you're just kind of left with waiting on a lot of the player announcements um and I think, like, if you kind of look at, like, Bailey Wilson is a great player for the Warriors this year. He's an excellent flanker. He finished in the top 10 in tackles that made this year um, with ninth. Ninth overall was 66. Um, he was second on the Warriors behind Yuri Van Vuren, who, again, is one of those guys that you probably hope is going to come back, but who knows? Um, and then John Cullen, Dwayne Politavo, like, they're the leadership group, right? Like, those are the two. There's the captain, the co-captain. Obviously, they have played major roles on the team. Um, Politavo's small and scrum half from the last world cup um and he had an excellent start to his season as well um and so like those are three guys that you as a warrior fan like you would be really excited to come back um you just kind of i think at this point you're just kind of like i we just need to see a few more players and you know which which i think is an interesting kind of i guess an interesting marketing decision given like covid19 has kind of shut down the sports world um and you also kind of see like there's teams um like teams like Nolan and dallas have been making a lot a lot of those signings and stuff they're being active on social media they're still promoting the team and utah is promoting the team it's not like they're not being active on social media there's a lot of posts there's a lot of um you know they're doing their own community events and reach and you know supporting causes that um matter to them as well so it's not a necessarily a bad thing it's just it's it's just not a lot to go off of right now like i feel like if you were kind of like if you were like grading like off seasons like attaching like letter grades to things and you kind of be like like I think like right now, like Utah's just that they haven't had a like 
I like all the moves that they have made. They just haven't made enough moves to be like, this has been a good off season for you. Cause we don't know enough information. It's like, I feel like Brandon Sparks has been given a test of with 50 questions on. And right now he's answered like 13 of them and maybe he's got all 13 of them. Right. But you need to answer more than 13 questions on a 50 question test to actually pass it. Um, so I, I like where it's going right now. I think Utah had a, like, they had a solid season last year. Their last game was against um, Seattle where they, you know, they had the epic kind of the, what was it, 10 minute extra of added time mm-hmm. victory at the close there. Um, so it's like, th- like there's, a, there's stuff to be excited about if you are a Utah Warriors fan. It's just, I feel like you just, you just need more info. It'd be nice to see more player announcements occur from, from Utah, but you can't complain about any of the moves that they have made this off season. Yes. Yeah, Derek, you know, I also just wanted to be able to build on that one thing. You spoke about the marketing. You know, Utah is not alone in their, you know, like the low activity, right? I mean, it's kind of a common thread in a lot, or a lot, a lot of teams, and we'll get to that. But I'd have to be able to think that, okay, well, look, obviously we're in these COVID conditions. The season was shut down. We don't know when the return to play is. All right, what's the silver lining here, guys? What an amazing time to be able to work on your marketing and to build a culture around it. Use that opportunity. These guys are sitting at home doing nothing. Get their face out there. Get them heard. Make them stars. You know, get them to connect with fans. So, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? If you've got an opportunity to be able to leverage it, it's good. So, yeah, I was going to add one thing. I keep in touch a little bit with Michael Basca because of an LU connection. And Michael's actually over in France doing a little bit of personal uh, bit and rugby, but he's actually trying to catch on with a French club over there um, uh, to play a little rugby prior to coming back. So it'll be interesting to see if his rust, if he's able to get a contract, if his rust is knocked off and he's ready and fresh to go for the start of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Stu, you – you're probably one of the best dressed out of all of us with your with your nice new kit that you got on. Thank you for noticing. I like that black, by the way. It's a it's a sharp sharp looking shirt. It was too bad that they never. I, I you always kind of wonder what would have been happened in that Namibia game if they would have pulled that out for the World Cup. But uh, Stu, you've got one of the teams that actually in, in the last few weeks has been very active. Yes, absolutely. So Austin, I know back in February of this year, we all posed the question to ourselves what is a Gilgroni? And then we found out <laughs> that it was the first alcoholic beverage in the world to be named after a rugby team because the team was announced before the drink was ever served. So that's how it works, Gilchrist. Yeah. That's just how it is. Um, and yeah, so looking on their website, they've had news articles. Obviously, everyone posted the um, 30-day suspension of MLR before the cancellation. But since June of 2020, Austin have been keeping their fans in the loop with everything that's going on. Um, and the good thing is they've been active not only on social media, but on their own website as well. So everything that they post links back to the website. It's getting more views, which is obviously great for their social media output. Um, their YouTube channel has continuous output as well, which I think is a great avenue to go down as well. And on that note, remember that you can watch this podcast on YouTube as well. So, <laughs> um, but one of the things is, especially in the past week, so between August 24th to 29, the AGs have announced a new signing or re-signing every single day. That continuous content. I know, so for example, the main thing that we talk about in this podcast is arrows and they'll 
do a bunch of uh, anywhere between three to five signings on a fortnightly to three weekly um, schedule. But having that continuous announcement, I know it obviously can't last, but to have that going on for those days is, you know, it's just great to be a fan of Austin, to like see that all these new names coming through. And then the next day, someone else that you can say like, oh, they're playing in Austin next year. Um, Now, Austin have not signed any players from other MLR teams as of this recording. But I say one of the great new additions to the team is probably going to be Christian Osberg from what I've seen of his uh, playing caliber. And it's also noted that while Jamie McIntosh was re-signed, he's now in the role as a player coach. So, you know, progressing in his career, maybe he's um, preparing himself for a career after playing rugby. But, you know, his um, skills with the Gilgronis, it'll be great to see what he can bring forward to uh, the rest of the team and even to the next generation. Now, um, a guy that is a big name to look out for, and we've talked about him on the podcast when he was re-signed a few weeks ago, um, is a Canadian, obviously. As, um, I'm going to probably mess this up. I'm terribly sorry if he's listening. Uh, Mo Abdelmonim. Abdelmonim. Th- See, I told you I'd get it wrong, but you know, I apologize, as Canadians do. Um now, he has been an excellent flanker. He has been knocking on the door to be flanker for uh, the Canadian national team. And who knows, maybe if the ARC had gone ahead this year, maybe if the internationals Canada had planned did go ahead, he could have been featured in that squad. Obviously, what it's uh, something for another parallel universe where COVID doesn't exist. But um, some of his stats, even from the five games of... 2020, he had uh, five breakdown steals, a 78% tackle success percentage. He's made 21 carries for over 90 meters and has played an average of under 60 minutes a game. That is fantastic stats. And that will be something great to see, not just for um, Austin fans, but I think for MLR as a whole. So, Ty, I'm going to give you a date of June the 27th. That is the last time the LA Guiltinis actually tweeted something. They've been pretty quiet. And I'm curious as to see how you feel about this and if you have any, if you're going to put on a tin cap right now and give us your best conspiracy theory about what is going on with this team. (laughs) Everybody has an opinion, right? So we already kind of broached the topic about the name. So we know Giltini's is obviously uh, linked to uh, the Gilcrest Empire, right? So F45, connection to the rugby here, now two, potentially three, uh, you know, clubs under it. So, I mean, yeah, you have to assume that it's going to have a lot of Australian influence. There's going to be a lot of super rugby experience making its way across there. You still need to reveal that there's Raptors that have been drafted to them, one of which that has already been announced. Fortunately, we were lucky enough uh, on an episode of the uh, Rugby Rant uh, where Rob was uh, giving some uh, or interviewing Blake Rogers. Now, uh, he's a prop forward, if you're not familiar, from the Raptors. Um, He's now we'll have his new home in, at the Giltinis. Beyond that, 
We haven't heard anything except I think there was one draftee that was uh, or two there. But, I mean, no notable names just yet. So you have to be able to think something's brewing. Something must be coming, right? So this um, – they're holding their cards very closely to them is the phrase that I want to be able to use. Yep. The reason being is that obviously they're working on something. There's a lot of rumors, but let's focus on what we do know, right? We do know that they've already decided that they're going to be playing out of a very large stadium, the Coliseum. It's an aging stadium. It's a very large venue to fill. If you just reference what the uh, Sam Boyd Stadium looked at the Vegas weekend, it's miserable, right? So you've already got what I think is quite a challenge there and you know, is it worth taking a stadium that large when you're starting out without a proven model? And I'm, I personally don't know how strong the, the local LA culture is uh, to support that franchise just yet. And to that same point, neither do they because they haven't done enough. <laughs> right? yep. So uh, I guess you know, you have to be able to see some notable signings. One of the significant things is, is that they have in the trade, they've got opportunity for, for, for international uh, places, uh, 10 per a team. So they're going to be looking for something large, you know, maybe DTH is coming across to, uh, to the MLR. So who knows, he might find a, a home with uh, a little bit more sun than Canada can offer. So if that's the case, great. I mean, but he's also a player at 34. I think he is now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From what we're kind of hearing up here, sorry, Taff. Yeah, from what we are kind of hearing up here, that is the exact rumor that he's right. You could be heading to LA. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I can see why. The allure of of being a part of something new, okay, was great. You know, like you said, when he comes over, first came over, he's thinking about rugby community. Players like Nanu were interested in coming to the MLR. Players like the Beast, and so the list can go on. He would be another one following that similar trend as the MLS, MLS had done when they first brought over their notable names from Europe. It has a marketing value attached to it. So they have to be able to find a few key players. Rob referred to the spine players. We'll use that analogy. And then from there, you're going to build your squad. I can already tell you who I believe is going to be a part of the Blake, uh, sorry, uh, joining Blake Rogers at the Guiltinis, but out of respect to them, I won't tell you. <laughs> um, but I can tell you that see about six or seven more names from Colorado that are familiar there. Another cheeky little little uh, drop there, Ty. Right. <laughs> so, uh, we we don't our podcast region doesn't include California. It's, yeah, just say, just stops, it stops, stops at the border. Stops yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> California. We don't get have. Yeah, exactly. You can you right. can say Vancouver, so, Seattle. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. as far as we go on the West Coast. So, well, we do know. Circling back around to it for a moment, gentlemen, before we move on from 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 Giltinis, is the coaching staff. So the coaching staff, um, you come with experience. Okay, you got to think about. This, this is really who's in charge of building an entire team from scratch. No pressure, right? Uh, plus, your expectation is to be competitive right from day one. And with the money they can throw at it, you have to assume that they would have some notable players. So then you've got to be at the level. You, you, you almost have to think if you were coaching somebody like Rob Shore and you had never coached at that level, it might be difficult, right, to coach a player like that. Not saying that he's there. Obviously, we know that he's going to another club, and we'll be talking about that later. But we've got Darren Coleman, and we've got Stephen Hoyles that are the coaching staff. Darren Coleman is somebody who um, comes with a wide variety of experience. I mean, he's been all over the globe. Uh, New South Wales uh, origin, 
in Australia, shoot rugby shield experience with rats, golden rats, uh, the list can go on there. And then he went across to Italy. He had with the L'Aquila um, in, uh, Italian professional side. Then he went over to Japan where he was in the Toyota, uh, I think it was called the Saber Sands or Toyota Industries. He was instrumental in that season, getting them promoted to the top tier. So yes, he's, he's can coach teams upward. This is what you want to see. Consistently, what I take out of his career is that he's taken a team from mid-range to the top in the leagues that he's had. Then we've got assisting him is Stephen Hoyle. Stephen Hoyles, for those that are familiar with Super Rugby, he has over 100 caps between the Brumby Service and New South Wales Waratahs. More recently, he has experience as a coach for the uh, seven-a-side um, national team for Australia. So you have to be able to think that that with his playing experience, he would be somebody who can manage those higher profile players. He can speak at the same level. He's been at the same level of the game. He can respect that. He can understand that. And he knows how to coach that. He also would coach a much faster level of the game. And because the Giltinis are going to most likely be drawing from Southern Hemisphere teams and players, I would like to be able to see a style of rugby that mimics that. Um, And it would suit what's going on with the rest of California with San Diego. So yes, it would be a great fit. And how amazing is a California Derby going to be? It's going to be yeah. just a beautiful backdrop. I, know I will say one more thing before we move on about, about the Giltinis. If you look at Major League Rugby's website and they have all the, the teams lined up, there's no Giltinis. So there is a rumor about a name change, but let me tell you, it might not be what people think, right? So we did some research back at episode one, I think it was, Rob, of the um, <laughs> of then, then what it was called the MLR rant. And I did some digging online. It's free information. You can go onto the, uh, uh, the US uh, trademark registration site. I can't remember the name of it now, USPTO or something like that. Anyways, and you can find numerous trademarks that are already approved some of the names, of course, Gilgronies, other names that were listed, Giltinis. Um, then there was the Gilmapolitans, uh, the Gil Colados, like as in a pina colada. <laughs> uh, and so oh the list can go on. So be careful what you wish for, people, if you want a name change. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're we're gonna move on from that. The Vancouver Pina Coladas. I guess you guys oh, can't wait for that up north. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's gonna be like the Vancouver like micro brews or something like that. <laughs> the, yeah, it'd be it would be yeah the Vancouver IPAs or the Vancouver, the Vancouver <laughs> IPAs. Yeah. yeah, I'm all over it. Yeah. Now, Rob, Rob, you, <laughs> you drink that. <laughs> Rob, you wanted to talk about uh, Houston. They've kind of had a. I would call them the middle of the pack compared to the rest of the MLR teams. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, again, going back to my strategy is I thought, you know, what defines, how would I define these teams and what they've done in the off season? And for them, it's been development, 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 and more development. Um, they have made some moves, but a lot of their efforts have been put into uh, developmental structures and youth rugby programs. So they they came out a couple of weeks ago with the Rugby HTX developmental team. They even had a camp. I think they had like 70 guys. I talked to Larry Monks down there in Houston a bit, and he said they had like 70 guys come out. From that, they had 15 prospects um, from the Open Combine that they're going to use in the HTX uh, team. Um, uh, just a quick, uh, quick correction of 
HTX is that Grant Cole mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Grant Cole, my apologies. I, I spoke with Larry about this too. Larry's doing the high me. school programs yeah. over there, so they have an overlap. Yeah, so uh, both both Larry and Grant are, are instrumental in giving us information about what's happening in Houston. They're phenomenal guys, um, and 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 that's where I was going to go. And then the youth rugby programs that are development. I mean, they're they've really made a serious commitment to youth rugby. Uh, they've had camps going on, um, you know, in the last couple of months. So it's really for them about positioning themselves in the future. Having said that, they they put out a press release for originals exists from their 2018 squad. Of course, Sam Windsor at Flyout, Kieran Farmer, um, Malachi Esdale, and Cecil Garber. So they do have some guys in their court leadership core that I think will be um, stalwarts. Um, what are their additions? They had Tian Erasmus, uh, South African hooker, 6'1", big boy. Um, he was signed as a, uh, from Austin. I think that was a trade, I believe. Scored uh, four tries and five starts um, with uh, the Gilgronis. Uh, center uh, Moa Malip. Maliepo, who's got a, a Tongan caps to his name, Prop uh, Nicolos uh, Kasha, Kasha Savili, uh, a Georgia uh, cap player and uh, a Sunwolves player. So you know he's going to be hard-nosed, ready to get to the grind. Uh, and then a uh, second row, Apisai uh, Tawia Vuka. I, I'm probably butchered that significantly, but he comes with Pro 14 uh, experience from the Zebra. So when you look at the quality of those signings, I mean, there is some significant quality in those four individuals. Uh, they lost Ian Lutz and Victor Comtat, um, but, you know, again, uh, significant returners. Uh, DeWitt Roos, their captain's returning. Breitenbach, uh, Breitenbach is returning. Beauchamp's returning. Of course, Robbie Povey was uh, acquired in a trade um, right before the draft. Of, um, and, uh, you know, he's a first ever uh, trade, picked him up from Utah. Osi Kalinasau at fullback. Uh, and then here's another uh, international, Diego Fortuny was, uh, was um, I think, re-signed Argentina hooker and Diego uh, Magno, uh, a Uruguayan flanker with 90 caps to his name. So if you think about what they have going on while not making some of those, you know, uh, consistent signings like Austin has or, you know, really uh, going through and developing uh, players, their draft picks and, and, and re-signing and, and getting some big name um, uh, pickups, uh, free agents in the off season. Um, they've been pretty solid. So, you know, if I was going to grade them as Derek was talking about grading, I'd give them a solid B, you know, um, and, and I, I like what they've done so far. Um, Obviously, they're trying to go to see if they be competitive this year because they gave up all their draft picks to really, I think, focus on what's happening in 2021. Now, Derek, you've got a team that has been hitting the pavement and really kind of picking up some strong additions to their already strong team. Yeah, so Rugby United New York um, – you know, as an Arrows fan, I feel like you're supposed to hate them. But, um, <laughs> man, I, I love everything about what I'm seeing from this team this offseason. So this is it's kind of painful to watch, but it's great. Um, their new GM, Stephen Lewis, he uh, really came out, hit the ground running. Um, they Their draft, I found their draft was really interesting. Um, they obviously traded away their two picks um, to Dallas in exchange for, uh, as well as some a little bit of cash, too, in exchange for a foreign player spot. But previous prior to the draft it's like all you kind of would hear about from Rooney was that everyone was saying it's like they really want Connor Buckley and 
that was just like the constant theme of like when you're the, all the pre-draft media coverage and stuff was saying that Rooney really wants Connor Buckley. And then they traded away both their picks and Connor Buckley went undrafted. So they ended up getting what they want in a foreign player spot. And they still ended up with the player that they probably would have drafted if they didn't trade that. Stroke um, a genius, wasn't it? Yeah, I think exactly. that was amazing. <laughs> Exactly. It's all. It's like the uh, the Kevin Costner draft day thing. You just make a bunch of make yeah. a bunch of trades, and then the guy that you actually want just drops down, anyways. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. So and you end up with uh, what did they end up with? They ended up with like the linebacker and the quarterback in that movie. Um, yes. But, no. No. They kept the quarterback that they already had because he undergo underwent surgery. I don't know. I know. That's ah, a draft. All right. Um, it's not important for this discussion or whatever. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but like, so that was interesting. Uh, like you said, stroke of genius. Um, it worked out very well for them. Um, the other thing, like Rob kind of mentioned it with Nola. It's like, you know, it's nice to see, like, they've retained, like, a lot of their big guns, man. Um, we got Rochford's back, Fawcett's back, Brakely's back, Hankel's back, some Sian's back, Bennett's back, Locklear, Connor Wallace, Sims, Will Leonard, Ben Foden. Um, all those guys are all back. Like, that's the big chunk of their core. They are down a couple of players, granted, um, Patty Ryan is a bit of it's a loss. Uh, Matthew Bastero, um, again, like you know, he was a big name that came over. He's heading back to to France now. Um, so unfortunately, you know, it's one of the big names in MLR that we only really got to see five games out of. Um, and you know, also uh, Cathal Marsh, the fly half, he's also out the door. Um, but there's also a lot of big names that have been coming in too. Um, so for that, I mean, you have. Um, you know, and looking at that, like you said, Patty Ryan's gone. So obviously you need a tight head to kind of come in and replace that. So you bring in Samu Tawaki, 23-year-old Fijian, um, played for the Manitoba Turbos. Um, the guy's a tank and is very mobile as well. So um, that'll be a nice kind of replacement too. They also, you know, they have, you know, kind of added a little depth to prop as well. Um, Zach Toalafu, um, 37-year-old uh, Samoan veteran, has 44 caps with them. Um, Ty will be able to tell you that he was a Raptor last year's um so you know that's like some quality props um kind of being added and the final prop would be um wilton rebello um who i know dan loves so much after uh, watching brazil um absolutely crush canada in uh the arc last year with their scrum um brazil scrum like i know like you know maybe they got some other stuff to work on but they got a hell of a scrum and um rebello is a key part of that and he played played for austin last year i don't think he really got into too many games due to injury um but um but yeah so that's that's going to be huge for them. And they also have, you know, for their backs too, they added uh, Apensia Kakabalavu, Fijian Sevens player. Um, he's, man, he's tough to tackle. And if he does, if you do manage to somehow bring him to the ground, he probably offloaded it anyways. Um, so there's, you know, that's going to be a, that's going to be a problem for defending wingers. So is uh, Feaseu Fuatai, um, again, uh, New Zealand Sevens, Bay of Plenty, um, speed for days. He's got un, an unreal sidestep too. Um, again, makes it really difficult for him to tackle um joel miranda um was born in the u.s but he um is mostly grown up in argentina um so that's you know he's he's kind of going to be in that same sort of really a lot of speed a lot of skill kind of play and connor mcmanus to kind of round out the uh, the scrum halves um for them and the reason i kind of like what they've kind of done is they seem to be like Stephen Lewis seems to be like directly addressing needs of the team. Um, one of those kind of being like Rooney, it, 
in my opinion, anyways, Rooney is one of the better teams in Major League Rugby. They're probably top five, top four. Um, but their scrum, their scrum winning percentage last year was 86.3%, which was eighth in the league. So they're kind of in the bottom half of the league. Um, but the other teams that you would traditionally think of as being the like the powerhouses in MLR, NOLA is first with 90, 95.7, Toronto second, just behind them, 95.5, San Diego at 93.5, and Seattle, even though their record wasn't too great this year, but they're at 92. So it's like there is kind of that New York is an incredibly talented, incredibly skilled team, but some of the the teams that are in their way of them getting an MLR shield are a little bit better at say scrummaging or the line out and stuff. So that's a, so I like the idea that they're picking up um, Talwake, Tolafau and Robolo just to bump that scrum up. Um, I think another thing that they kind of needed too is they had their scrum halves last year were Mike, Mike Petrie and Marcus Walsh and that's what they had. That's what they had to go with. And those guys are very skilled scrum halves. And like any any team in MLR would be happy to have Marcus Walsh or Mike Petrie as their scrum half. But if like it was a really short season, but in the event that one of those guys got hurt, um, they kind of might be in trouble. The third scrum half was supposed to be Jason Higgins, who is now an arrow, and we'll probably talk about it later. But due to visa issues, he wasn't able to go. Um, so I think scrum half depth to me looks like another area that they kind of need to address. Um, and and, you know, by picking up McManus and by picking up Buckley, I think that gets that done. Um, so the only thing left that I really think that they kind of have to do, um, you know, if they wanted to have that like A plus off season, I think the one thing they need to do is they need a fly half to replace Marsh. Um, and there's plenty of time to obviously pick up that guy, whether he be an American player or he be a foreign player. Um, like I said, they did pick up that extra foreign player slot in the, the trade with Dallas. So there is room for that. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that would be that's the only thing that's to me is preventing them from being an a plus plus i mean we've been kind of talking about the marketing of the team and so i like the way they're rolling out the signings three o'clock every day if you're a rooney fan you know when it's coming you have something to get excited about to build up during the day maybe you time your break at work to at three o'clock so you can check it and react to it um which is which is really great it looks like they're starting up um you know some sort of like training and clinics and stuff again too so um that's also great to see a lot of the community initiatives so not like, like I said, man, you know, it kind of pains me as an Aeros fan to see Rooney doing so well, but you, uh, you can't really deny uh, the, the off season that they've had so far. You know what? Uh, I want to mute you for the rest of the, the night. Cause you maybe think of that Brazil Canada game. Oh, and yeah. that was one of the most frustrating <laughs> rugby games I've ever seen, yeah. ever. Yeah, so that, you know what? At least I'm not making you watch the game behind my shoulder. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I just see you now if you want. No, yeah, there we go. Yeah, okay. give me, give me, yeah, switch it over to I the think, Brazil I think, I, I think game. All my pastime was spent during COVID was deleting that from existence. So <laughs> even if you wanted to, you could. Now uh, we're going to stick with the Northeast, uh, Stu, and you've got New England. Yes, and it's a good choice because previously the team uh, I was previously talking about posed the question, what is a Gilgroni? And now this team posed the question, what is a Free Jack? Did we ever find the answer? I don't think we did, but it doesn't matter. It's all in the past now. Um, well, they started their 2020 season with a shock win, I think, for many over uh, rugby United New York, and then uh, got swiftly brought back to reality. Um, 
that since the uh, season's premature end, uh, the Free Jacks have even set up a virtual academy. They have summer rugby programs going on. And I think that is a great thing to do, just like to get uh, kids and young children involved into understanding rugby, get them... Uh, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but get them understanding the rules of uh, the game. Because, I mean, it's, I mean, us guys talking about rugby is one thing, but having like the next generation understanding the rules from an earlier age, playing from an earlier age, and then going into um, academy setups and into the league that will hopefully by then when they're in their like late teens, early twenties, be a professional outfit that they can see as a career aspiration. This is the foundation of which you do that. So I think that's a fantastic effort there by the Free Jacks. And they've done a lot of outreach over social media as well, including they have their own podcast on uh, their YouTube channel and wherever you can listen to great podcasts such as Anchor FM where you can find the Rouge Rugby podcast as if you're listening right now you already know it you're crushing it you're doing a great job buddy hitting all the marks I like it I think Rob and I can learn from you uh, Stuart so yeah Uh, well my check's in the post from these two guys so that's perfectly fine with me Um, he he, he doesn't get a check he doesn't he doesn't get Uh, (laughs) he gets a check mark that's it Um, so the one downside I will have to say for the free jacks is um, at the time of recording, there are no Canadians in the squad. Terrible, terrible. Um, <laughs> but they do have some um, play, well-known players that are being re-signed, such as uh, Tad Leader and John Poland have both um, been announced. The big news, however, is a batch of international signings. I've got three I want to talk about now. Um, the former Sharks captain, I'm going to butcher this uh, again, I apologize, Lubabalo Matembu, um, like I said, former Sharks captain, um, has played in the Curry Cup for the last five years, I believe. He's signed a three-season contract with uh, New England, which is interesting. We, um, the other two guys I'm going to talk about have only signed for two years, but so, and I think it's either usually been signed for one year or two years that most people have heard about but so three years is different but that's perfectly fine um scotland international dougie fife will be joining the free jacks um in 2021 and like i said on a two-year contract which i'm not sure if that sits well with dc and their connection with uh scottish rugby but uh, that's for them to discuss um but the big one I want to talk about is uh, the Harlequins player, Harry the Gentleman Barlow, who has um, experience, as I said, with um, Harlequins on their academy side. He's also played for England in uh, the ju- the junior levels from under 16 to uh, 19. But because of the uh, laws about uh, player eligibility, is that Harry isn't captured by England at the moment. 
which means that he is eligible to play for the Eagles. Now, if you want to talk about players and see it as a um, connecting point for not imp- not only just improving MLR, but um, building players for uh, the national team for future World Cups, not only in 2023, but uh, 27 and even 31, then you need to find players that not only have the skills, but are able to play for the national team as soon as possible. Because obviously with the new five-year residency rule, you uh, want to make sure that they're able to play as soon as possible. And unless they're incredibly good, in which case you may be able to uh, twist their arm and have them stay in the United States for five years. But, you know, this is a player that could be England's loss, but uh, America's gain. Uh, interesting about one of the guys that you mentioned, um, Dougie Fife. When I first started playing rugby 20, when it came out, um, you know, like many of the other uh, sports games, they have an option where you can make your own team. And uh, he was one of the guys that I, I first got, and he was, you know, the, the penultimate try scorer for my team. And it was kind of just fun. I'm like, you know what? This is, I, I, I like this guy. I like this Dougie Fife. And I'm like, too bad I'll never really be able to watch him, you know, consistently unless I, I follow the Scotland <laughs> Sevens team. And then this announcement was made, and, like, my, my mind is kind of blown. And I think that's the power of what – why World Rugby needs to get behind making a cohesive one – franchise rugby game so that way guys like me or or people that are younger fans that want to play they're gonna they're gonna be just like me they're gonna make their own team and find players from all over and get interested in them because they play them themselves i mean that's how when i was younger i learned about hockey players is by playing you know nhl with with my brothers and being like oh yeah sure i'll pick up that guy you know he seems seems cool and then having like following him for you know the rest of his his career that's just the nice progression that that some video games can bring to you when it comes to sports um so we're going to finish up into the last round now uh ty you had san diego yeah so when it comes to san diego i i you know there's been a quite a slew of re-signed players. So much like to the same as some of the others we've spoken about, it's more about building consistency and carrying that momentum through. Now, when we talk about carrying momentum through, one good thing that they had initially done, I'm going to start with the coaches rather than the players, because we have Rob Hoadley, who's of course steered them to success up until where we are today. But who takes over from them are those that worked within the same organization. You got Zach Test and Murray, who come with a wealth of experience of their own that are now going to be positioned as co I mean, I'm not sure what they call themselves, but they're both going to hold the, uh, the head coach position, which I think is pretty unique. I mean, Yes, you've, you've got, I suppose it could only really work if they all both grew up in the same team in, and know that culture and know its vision and know the players. So it will work for them, but I doubt it would work for another team, right? if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So, yes, there's good. So they still managed to keep the consistency moving into 2021 because you hopefully carry through the same values with that team uh, and they have the same strategy. But looking at the players that have been re-signed and announced from San Diego, um, who, by the way, has a phenomenal fan support, aren't they? The cohort and everything they do, just like it's a wonderful, unique identity that I think – 
would would be a great ambassador for for watching the game here in the U.S. Because if you can take something as unique as that and you can spread it across the league, that would be something different about Major League Rugby as a, as opposed to any other league in the world. So just a shout out to those guys that do some great work there. And the same can be said uh, for for Nola with the Gold Diggers. Um, you know the list can go on. So let's talk about that list of re-signed players. We've got at 14, you got uh, Toto Vassal, uh, a wing, uh, re-signed for the 2021 20, uh, season. Um, while obviously n- nobody had a lot of game time because it was only five games in the 2020 season, what's notable, if we look back for him, in 2019, he scored five tries in five games. You can't really get a better record, right? And that was leading out of the out of the the, uh, the season. So you know, it would have been nice to be able to see where it would have gone for him. But he could play at eleven or fourteen. So a great Fijian player, strong on his feet, good with the ball in his hand, excellent one to have out in the wing there. So if we look uh, beyond that, we got uh, Ben Mitchell in the second row forward. Uh, 22 appearances for uh, Austin Elite, moved over to, to San Diego. So you've got a player that's got some great uh, MLR experience. Then we can move on to Josh Thiel, uh, fullback, also good fly half, center, nice utility back there. Um, played only two games um, because he came in in the 2020 season. So still yet to be tested, but yet has uh, the versatility that you need from a utility back. So you can slot in anywhere. And when you look at a team that is successful, you got to ask, and we touched on it a little bit when we spoke about the, uh, the depth for Rooney, but you got to ask how deep is that bench? Right. You know, do they have that that staying power? If there are a couple of key positions that are injured, where do you look? And I think San Diego has that. I think Seattle definitely has that. And so are more teams doing so. Um, So that's something that I see coming through with, with the San Diego structure. Uh, we've got Aaron Mitchell, tight head prop, nice and young player still, 24 years old, got a lot of rugby to play still. So again, building consistency. Hopefully you've got a player that will stick around for a long time to come. Uh, he played five games, all five games in 2020. So they're obviously looking at him as being a staple. So then you've got Nate Osberger, of course, Eagles, a player um, right there from the start with San Diego. He's a part of that culture. He's a key uh, uh, um, playmaker for them. Great leader on the field. Johnny on the spot with every opportunity there. So, yeah, he's the type of guy that you can build a team around, really. In fact, we'll be fortunate enough on uh, the Rugby Rant to be able to interview him September 9th. Um, he's kind of a guy who's, who's definitely one of those names that most Major League Rugby fans know, and it's for good reason. So he'll be re-signed for, for 2021. Only a year extension on all of these, which is pretty interesting to see, apart from the big one, which is coming up. Uh, Dean Muir, again, signed on for 2021. Um, You know, he's at 32 now. He's a pivotal player up there in the front row. I don't, I mean, I'd love to be able to see a lot more rugby from him, but I'd like to be able to see a, a couple other players get a little bit more game time to build that depth in the front row as well for San Diego. So we got Devin Short, who moved away. Um, as Rob mentioned, Nolik took him. I mean, he's a 22-year-old kid, so there's a lot of rugby there. Great player. Awesome signing for Nola. I know Nate Osborne was super excited about that one. So um, he's – well, now, the reason I bring him up is in that trade, what they gained was an international player spot. 
And for fans of the show or and of Major League Rugby, uh, you might not realize, but you've gotten allotted 10 per a team. This increased that uh, to 11. So what did they do with it? Well, obviously, we got to mention Chris Robshaw, right? <laughs> this is a man here at Harlequins. He's been tried and tested at the international game with uh, being an England captain. So he's, he's royalty in terms of rugby, right? He's reached the pinnacle. He's played World Cups. He's been a captain of one of the greatest uh, teams around. What does he bring with him to Major League Rugby? In addition to his playing mindset, his rugby IQ, and of course his presence as a player inside that camp will be amazing. Uh, Think about the leadership, think about the mentorship, think about the energy that he brings with him. He signed, interestingly enough, unlike the Beast, unlike Nanu, um, who still, I don't, maybe you guys have heard something, but I haven't heard conclusively that he's not coming back or even what the length of his contract was when he signed. So who knows, right? Let's focus on what we do know. Chris Robshaw has signed for two years. And while that's not three years, like some of the other players, which we noted Stewart said was, is uncommon, two years still shows a commitment. You know, you're not, you're not coming in for one season to try it out and live in America for a year and hit the beach in San Diego and enjoy your time. You're committing to actually building something. And who knows what will come after that? He's 34 now, I think. Um, yeah, 34. So you'd have to imagine what would the criticism be? Okay, he's, he's an play, aging player. Everybody says, oh, go to the MLR for your sunset of your career, right? I don't like that because there's a lot of great rugby still in a player like that who's consistently doing so at one of the highest levels of the game in Europe with the UK Premiership. He's performing well. But think about the value outside of what he does on the field that he brings with them alone. We talk about marketing. You know, David Beckham came across the Major League Soccer how many years ago? What he brought with him with him was the uh, merchandising rights, the ability to get broadcasting and sponsors for a notable name. As it already stands, San Diego is doing a great job when it comes to sponsorship and with their fan attendance. So this is just another great thing on top of that and an excellent move for rugby for them and for the major league as a whole. But to sum it up, I think they've done a great job. They don't need to make major changes here. They're doing a good job. They just need to stay consistent. Rob? If I could just real quick add, Ty, I I think, again, you know, great minds think alike, I guess, because I I add on the additional value of a guy like Rob Shaw bringing his expertise and helping out a guy like Saul Mooching, who we interviewed earlier this year on our own podcast. I mean, Saul is an up-and-coming, and and for a USA guy, it's just exciting to me that to know that Saul Mooching will be getting uh, some toolage from a Chris Rob Shaw. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Sam Wuching, definitely one of the standouts. Uh, Joe Peterson, another standout there as well. The list can go on. But as you say, those players side by side, and I saw the very same thing when Rene Ranger was playing alongside Mika Kruse. Right. Um, so here you got a 21-year-old kid who's obviously talented, but what he lacks is that that uh, the maturity of a rugby player to understand, okay, when do I release? When do I go to ground? What's the opportunity here? To be able to have that split-second attitude and decision, you can only become better by playing around people who are better than you. And you know what? Uh, I think that you hit the nail on the head, Ty, about the the, the intangibles that Rob Shaw is bringing. You know, I was watching uh, the Harlequins win today, uh, and uh, you know, Rob Shaw got scored a try, and they called him the California boy. And you know, they right. mentioned on the broadcast that you know he's packing his bags for San Diego, and I think that alone is is 
worth Robshaw coming over because it's getting people and it's getting broadcasters to talk about this. I remember um, in the international test matches after the first year of MLR, you know, when the USA was playing Ireland, you know, the, the broadcasters were talking about how um, MLR wasn't a proper league yet. You know, and, and to go from that and in a few years, them talking about that in a premiership game about how, you know, Chris Robshaw is leaving and stuff like that. That's, that is a big, big right. thing to happen for the league. And you know and what? The same thing happened, you know, with South Africa. So you got a beast, Matarawira, a World Cup winning player, not 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. We're talking about, you know, less than a year ago, just about a year, right? So the whole of South Africa took note. Oh, hang on. There's actually rugby happening there. Oh, yeah, we got a lot of players there. So as you so rightly point out there, uh, Dan, is that this is a great marketing value. And people around the world, by having players like this, is a vote in confidence in rugby in the U.S. and Canada. Um, Rob, you know, you want you wanted to talk about Atlanta, and they've had an interesting offseason, a little bit of a – not a rebrand, but uh, a, a little bit of a change in, in, in logos and, and whatnot. How do you feel about how they've done this offseason? Um, so a lot of different things. First of all, uh, anybody who I've been connected with in NOLA um, will see that NOLA stands for Nobody Likes Atlanta. Okay. Uh, I don't know how many of your Canadian uh, fans and uh, Toronto Aeros fans up there understand or know that, but but that is an absolute theme down in New Orleans. Okay. So, uh, having said that, um, I I definitely like to keep my eye on on um, uh, the Rattlers. Um, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is, is this rebrand. Uh, and the rebrand, uh, I think came out of much more of a, a kind of a grassroots thing where, you know, I think some, some of the fans were talking about rattle, 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 rattle. And from there came rattlers. And one of my guys, uh, a phenomenal man, a great dude. He has been good to us at the, at the MLR rant and other rugby rant, uh, Eagle prop, number um was uh, chances 531 if i'm not mistaken um an lu lion um uh, chance wagalewski he's actually a graphics design guy and he along with i think it's one of the van shockwicks i can't remember if it was duncan or not um actually created the rebrand um and they have a lot of good things going on there um the rugby 404 is a big one uh at the 404 headquarters they they i think weekly they have um, a nice uh youtube piece that comes out kind of uh, you know i uh, they reach out to players players it's kind of their marketing technique to get players more familiar to their fans um make a connection and they have this big you know headquarters there and chance actually created this huge mural he talked about it in our podcast um you know, with this Rattler. And so we got a chance to see that a little bit before they released the rebrand. So that was pretty cool. Um, you know, it, it, it'll look cool. I think it really plays to the American fan base. I mean, fa- American fans like to have an identity like that. And it works pretty yeah. well. Um, so, so I think it's good for them. I think it, you know, it came out of, like I said, the, that, that grassroots element. I think it'd be cool if they just started getting those shakers, little like beans, 
Oh, you know, and every cool. time, they, and it would really go to that theme, right? And it could be grassroots. People could bring their own stuff. They could probably market and sell them if they wanted to. It would just be a really cool piece because I think that's the key to MR teams. Find your niche. Find what makes you unique and give people an experience that they want to come because it's not just about the rugby. It's about the experience. So um, speaking of uh, the Rattlers, um, I think they've committed to their core, but they're also committed to development. I mentioned the 404. Um and they've had some resident summer camps down there uh, as a piece of their development, a U19 Academy, a community day camps, and a Rugby 101, as I spoke about earlier, video series. So it's been really good to see them make a commitment to their development. They've made some key re-signings. Uh, Duncan Van Shawquick at 24 is a young guy. Can't, can't uh, go without mentioning two Canadians, Matt Heaton, signed to a two-year extension, a co-captain, 28 caps for Canada. Um, what was he? Uh, three Rugby World Cup starts, uh, the 2017 uh, Rugby Canada Player of the Year. I mean, what can you you know not say about this guy that he hasn't already accomplished? So uh, he was a key re-signing. And then uh, Connor Keyes signed to a two-year extension, 18 caps for Rugby Canada. So it's good to see them lock down those guys because they are key players uh, that are coming from from the north side right down to uh, down to the south. Um, you know, as I said, Chance Wagalewski signed uh, for a year extension. Um, Batista Azakura, 25-year-old Argentinian center with some sevens experience. Yeah, that's a big one. That's big one, one that I was very interested in, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Johannes Nietz uh, Garicki uh, signed a, a year extension. So they've got, a, you know, a, a bunch of guys that they re-signed that they're committed to. And then they brought in two key additions, a Tongan, probably butcher the name, uh, Dwayne Big Toko Aholele. And uh, he's, you know, bounced around a little bit, but he has international played on in other countries. So he has a lot of experience playing elsewhere, USA, France, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, and he represented Tongan A's. And then Johanna, uh, sorry, Jonas uh, Petrakov, Petra Kopoulos, 21-year-old prop uh, with a two-year contract that they signed from Rooney. So a couple of key additions to help um, batten things down there. Um, and then, of course, they got Mike Matarazzo is from uh, ND up here in the close to the Chicago area, 6'5", good size. But he'll be a developmental guy, I think. And then John Scott uh, from Arc State, who, you know, we, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him make an appearance in the 23. But the big question uh, that I want to leave with is this, Harley Wheeler. Right. Um, player of the year and collegiate. One of those rare guys that did make the jump from the collegiate ranks right into the starting uh, uh, 15 um, strong physical kid. Right. He gets signed uh, to play with the uh, sevens uh, tour. Right. And so by the United States. So he's going to he's not going to be playing for him. Uh, and now, though, with the sevens tour uh, actually um be in, in stoppage, not be going to be played this year. The question is, will Harley Wheeler be bought back, brought back into the fold uh, moving forward? And if he is, look out because um, he is he is a load on that wing. You know, yeah, it's I kind think... of sad to be able to see the sevens uh, game as well. We're not going to go too far into this topic, but uh, did you guys see that Wales also canceled their sevens program and England? <laughs> yeah. And Italy. I didn't even know about Italy. England. 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 Oh, I thought you said, yeah. yeah. I thought you said yep. England, of course. Yeah, it was first. And then to fall was Wales as well. So I wonder if they're going to be making, if the circuit does happen, I wonder if they're going to be Britain. making a Great Britain team. Yeah. I think that's well, what that I would be. imagine would be the logical thing is you can consolidate, um, although that wouldn't be applicable because they compete separately at the Olympics. 
Um, so that'll be interesting because you would have thought that this would have No, they compete as GB at the Olympics. They compete separately in the world circuit. Right. Oh, okay. So it's the other way around. You're right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From um, what I've seen on the WRU website about the cancellation of the Wales um, Sevens program is they made it clear that they only wanted this to be a temporary measure just because of COVID and that right. hopefully when things um get back to normal uh they will then re-implement the sevens program again but it's just a case of they're not hosting well wales never hosts to begin with but there are also no, no events to go to they can't continue keeping these players on a payroll when there's nothing that they can do to make every any revenue for it so it from what they've said it's a temporary measure, but there's, but then again, how temporary or will it be permanent? We'll yet to see. Now, Derek, you've got one more team that's been active in the community and active online, but in terms of filling out their roster, they've got one guy that they've officially announced. Yeah, um, the Seattle Seawolves, uh, good old Canada South, even though they're technically further north than Toronto. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, not a whole lot going on um, in Seattle as far as actual player signings is concerned. Like you said, Dan, like I mean, they're they're active, like they're promoting the team and stuff. You can't complain about anything that they're doing off the pitch. But um, yeah, like I said, same kind of thing with Utah that I mentioned earlier. It's like you know, COVID-19, man, everybody's at home. There's no, like, like the league shut down and stuff. You have, like, your off-season is, you know, almost twice as long as it normally should be. Um, You know, just announce some players and stuff. Um, What we do know, uh, Matt Turner um, will be replacing Phil Mack as the uh, player coach for um, the Seattle Seawolves. And, you know, so obviously him fullback, great player for that team, and then he gets to step into that added role of coaching. Um, um, which could be, you know, a transition for him later in the career um, that could allow him to transition into coaching full-time when he decides to finally hang up the boots. Um, and then that's the only signing that's been announced by the Seawolves, but the London Irish have done all MLR fans a solid and have announced that Ross Neal um, will be returning to the Seawolves after he finishes his stint with um, the London Irish in the premiership this year. I guess that's kind of maybe like one of those weird things that you maybe you wouldn't have been able to do without COVID postponing the season is that Neil's actually kind of gets the opportunity to go back and during the off season can actually go back and play for the premiership, then come back over um, to Seattle to represent the Seawolves in MLR next year. Um, Beyond that though, that's all we got as far as signing school. We do have their draft as well. Um, They signed Aaron Matthews, um, who, man, he looks like an outstanding back, Um, you know, very versatile as well. Um, Kind of looking at his highlight reel on YouTube, he's playing fly half, he's playing center, um, he's playing fullback. Um, So that's, that's an an unreal pickup for them. That's something too, that is, it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, Seattle's been one of the best teams in the league um, throughout, 
you know, the entirety of the MLR. And then this is the year that they're terrible. The season ends after five games. They end up picking fifth overall in the draft and can get Matthews, um, which just makes their centers like that much better. Um, their center group is um, realistically, their center group is quite solid um, with uh, Sonny Ula, Busby, Ross Neal, Barton, um, Iosefa. Like they have good centers. I mean, we have no, like, I don't know how many of those guys are coming back or because they haven't announced anything, but their center group is good. So, um, you know, but they're um, at fly half. I felt like obviously Ben Sima got rocked pretty hard in the, uh, that exhibition game with the Tasman Mako. And so Scott Dean had a kind of stepped into the fly half role and it's like, he, I he kind of struggled with it. And that, that was, mm-hmm. um, he had some, troubles there and you know Sonny Ula kind of moved back to it as well but it's like you can kind of tell that's like they would rather have Sonny Ula playing center um so like you know depth at fly half seems to be an issue for Seattle um Seema obviously came back toward the end of the season and you know hopefully he would have been healthy for the uh, the rest of the year but we don't get a chance to see that um and you know maybe Seattle would have been able to turn their year around but depth at fly half is something that they need so the fact that um Aaron Matthews is capable of playing fly half at least is like you know that at least they're, they're making a move that shows me that you're trying to address a need there um their other draft pick was uh Nick Taylor um from Lindenwood, um, Rob very proudly showing off that flag there. Um, and yeah, same thing. Taylor, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Nick Taylor. Um, he's very good on the defensive side of the ball, which is something that you definitely need. Very uh, solid, steady tackler. Um, also, you know, great ball carrier. Everything that you would need out of your center, you can expect um, from Nick Taylor. Um, but again, you know, he's centers. And as I guess kind of like let, went through, it's like they got a lot of good centers on Seattle. I do appreciate a lot that Seattle being representing Canada South as well as they can did find a way to draft the Canadian in the draft where Canadians weren't thought to be eligible. Um, Mm -hmm. So I did love that. Um, But yeah, that's, you know, so again, it's kind of one of those same things. It's like, with Utah, like, I like the moves that they've made. Like, I, I mean, I like that this Turner and Neal are back. I like their draft picks, but this is all we have to go off of right now. And I feel like, well, you know, I kind of said earlier that it was like, you know, Utah's answered 30 out of the 50 questions on the exam. I feel like Seattle's slept in and hasn't got to the school to do the exam yet. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's Pancake just, commercials are pretty good, though. Yeah, exactly. The pancake commercials are outstanding. That's why they're late. They're making pancakes um, for breakfast. <laughs> That's why they haven't got to school on time for this exam. Um, where have you like, Canadians sold them any syrup yet? That's what I want to know. Well, we should, man. We should. That's what. Yeah, we should. We There's should. a partnership. Yeah, we should. Next, next time we get the uh, next time the arrows go down to Seattle, we should just bring them some bring syrup. Bottle of syrup. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. With the uh, the pancake mix syrup. It can be a lovely, lovely partnership. It's, it's a great social, right? Yeah. Some beer, exactly. Pancakes. Exactly. Um. Uh, yeah, so I mean that's that's kind of what we have to go off of right now. It's like they haven't really done much. Um, you know, they obviously they have a great team. I think it's kind of be kind of fascinating because obviously they're the back to back defending champs properly, um, but they also kind of had a terrible twenty twenty, and it's interesting to be like what do you do with that? Do you be like, do you kind of go like, Oh, Hey, we got problems that we need to fix and maybe slap the panic button on the small sample size of only five games. Or do you be like, now we're one of the best teams in the league. We're the back-to-back champs. If we had the full season, we would have been okay. And you can make moves based on that. So, um, 
I think Seattle has the possibility of being one of the more intriguing teams this offseason. I'm just waiting for them to do something. You know, it's interesting, like, Ben. I think Ben Seema is the linchpin for that team because they play yeah. a controlled a controlled kicking game. They don't make a lot of mistakes or a lot of penalties, and so they really rely on his kicking game. And when in his absence in, what, the first three games, yeah, I, I, they really struggled because, you know, as you said, Sonny Ola is not a fly half. He's a center. He doesn't, you know, he's much better in the attack coming off somebody's shoulder, um, and they just didn't have an answer. When Seema came back, they could play their controlled kicking game and territory and possession game that they're used to. <laughs> You know what? That's what happened in the Arrows game. Is yeah. penalties were given and Toronto kicked the ball, you know, for possession and then and, uh, kicked the ball down their throats by uh, scoring on all those penalties. Stu, you're going to finish us off with the last team. Uh, how do you? How did you feel? How uh, Old Glory's done this off season? Well, looking at Old Glory's website and social media output, it's been a bit light compared to the two other teams I've looked at. And, but at the same time, they're keeping their main website updated, which is always good, and keeping updated about uh, the new signings and re-signings, which seem to be coming in a steadier flow than, say, Austin's, which is one a day for in quick succession and you know maybe they're thinking on the long-term format as in like okay next season is going to begin in say february 2021 they don't want to release all the information all at once keep it steady especially going into the fall and winter so you know maybe in the same case of like seattle and utah you know slow and steady could win the race but uh Ideally, I would have liked them to have arrived at school a bit earlier to get a bit of revision in. Um, <laughs> now, about uh, new uh, signings, uh, one player I want to focus on is David Beach. And these are some of the stats I have for him. Uh, he's 24 years old. He's six foot seven, oh. uh, second rower who plays for, and I have to do this with the American pronunciation, which goes against all of my European heritage, Notre Dame College, which, uh, um, but um, he's, no. he's... You got it right, though. You did well. That was yeah, strong. Yeah, it, it didn't feel right, though. Felt, uh, <laughs> um, he has also previously played for Mystic River in... Um, so this is a guy who... Well, clearly, like, has got has the height requirements to be a second row. Uh, no, from um, unlike me and Rob, as we discussed earlier <laughs> in this podcast. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, some, you know, sometimes you just have to. I mean, I've played fullback before, and that was just because I was the leanest of all the players there, and I didn't need to stop after ten steps to catch my breath. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a, so you know, needs must. I find with those positions. Um, now uh, on to the Canadians. So they are two Canadians at uh, the time of recording. We have a uh, Kieran Hearn who um, played recently in the twenty. Uh, 19 Rugby World Cup, but is also uh, he's in his 30s, 34, I believe. And you know, that level of experience can always be very useful, especially with a team with younger members, um, such as Doug Fraser, who um, he has also been capped by Canada. He last 
played against Chile in the 2019 ARC. Uh, but he's only 27. So I believe that, you know, give him more game time, especially as Canada should be now focusing on building a team for the uh 2023 Rugby World Cup, you need uh, the younger blood in there and you need them to get that level of experience so that when it comes to playing um, on an international stage, they are ready for that. And you do that not only by playing international games every season, but it's playing week in, week out. And hopefully we can see more of Doug Fraser playing for Old Glory in 2021. You know, the last team on the list is uh, the Toronto Arrows. And, you know, I'll kind of li- – they, they got a good core of, of new players. But I think the thing that everyone has talked about with the Arrows, the thing that they've done well in the last uh, two seasons is consistency with their roster. Um, and like last year, uh, they were able to re-sign almost everyone that, uh, you know, played in the uh, twenty shortened 2020 season. Unfortunately – um, fan favorites were lost, Dan Moore and uh, Sam Malcolm, uh, one to retirement, the other to Japan. Um, so they, they are heavy losses. However, you know, with signings like Gonzalez and Montero to uh, different uh, South American players, I think that uh, the Arrows will do fine. Um, now, to our guests, I wanted to ask you guys a question, and this isn't so much about the team that's on the field. Um, as outsiders, how have you, how have the arrows looked in terms of connecting with their fans? Because, uh, in my opinion, the arrows have been one of the more active teams in terms of you know putting out content like uh, their their arrow reviews where they interviewed the players during their game. So they've they've done different things, and you know other. Other teams have certainly done it, but how does how does it feel as outsiders um, to see what they've done? Um, well, I know Rob and I have had conversations about this in the past, and first of all, we have to recognize the culture that's around the club starts with its core, and that's the management and what they project to the players. The players share that with the fans, so it's fantastic. I mean, from from our point of view. You know, we look at the teams uh, as a whole, how they fit into the league, and then we break it down and we look at, okay, what is each team's contribution uh, to the game and to the communities uh, of rugby communities around them? So Toronto Arrows, they do a great job of engaging the fans, but the fans themselves also do a great job of giving back. So, for example, is the online presence that they have through social media. Recently, uh, Doug Wilkie, who was on our show alongside some of his other peers, started the uh, Toronto uh, fan group, right? Interestingly enough, uh, I actually mentioned to Doug, I'm like, Doug, like, you got a golden opportunity, man. Just call it Arrows Up. Like, you guys say it everywhere, but the hashtag, name it is the group. Everything somebody types with that is going to go back to your group. Next thing you know, with inside of four weeks, I think they, or maybe five weeks, they did 3,000 members. So, Phenomenal, right? And this is a fan-driven support network. So this is what you want to be able to see. It's a reflection of the culture around the game and the rugby greater rugby community there. Now, unfortunately, they didn't have a home game in 2020, right? <laughs> but and, and I'm sure Rob will, will speak to some of this as well about the challenges there. But from my point of view, I think they've got a great culture um, with the fans and as a club, I mean, really you have to be able to think about it. So 
they would have been, apart from the game behind me, would have been undefeated in 2020, right? Um, and it was had to bring that up again. Separated eh? game, right? So, more salt for the wound. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize to every Canadian fan that I put this on. It was insensitive. I apologize. Sorry, what everyone, everyone just listen to the podcast. Like the MLR, the uh, rugby right, brand okay, logo okay. So over you your part, face. Yeah, well. you <laughs> I actually put this on behind me on TV. There's a game there. Okay. Anyway, so besides the point. They've got a fantastic structure. They draw from local rugby uh, clubs. They're grooming players through their own academy. So they've got their own network that they draw from, player pool that they draw from. And it is Canadian-based. So there's a couple of reasons why. Obviously, they have visa issues. Canadians can't go this way down to the U.S. And U.S. players very seldom. Why would they go up north when you've got the Toronto Arrows and there's only one uh, team to be able to be there? So it's almost like it's the uh, Jaguars for uh, the Jaguares for uh, the um, Argentines. Then you've got, you know, the Sunwolves. So it's kind of like this ends up becoming your unofficial national team, right? But you're building that consistency that Derek so uh, rightly mentioned. You're building a, a, a unity. Uh, you're building that momentum. So I think it's fantastic. And uh, sorry, Rob, for taking most of the conversation there. But I know you've got some great stuff to add there as well. Well, uh, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head, uh, but I, you know, I, I think I can add some spice in some other areas here. Um, from my perspective, when I watch Arrow games, I, I just assumed the stands were sold. I mean, just plain sold out. Like, I watched a game from a fan perspective on ESPN Plus, and as the TV camera panned across the crowd, you're looking at, you know, shoulder to shoulder packed uh, packed stands. Uh, one of our uh, one of our big fans uh, on the MLR fan zone, um, Karen Gabersino, um, contributes a lot. And Karen remarked that, unbeknownst to me, that they actually don't even open the other stands in the other side. So the the arrows are doing something right to make sure that the TV optics are squared away and and really provide a good backdrop for uh, the game. So it, it, that's good to see. Um, and clearly the fans are engaged in what's going on um, in Toronto too, which yeah. is awesome. In addition to that, sorry to, to, to interject there, the partnership with TSN you know, your local networks to broadcast the games and rebroadcast the games as well. Uh, so they, they, that's great partnership there, the second half of that. You know, and it's um, – the thing that I – wish they could get right and it might take pushing the season back maybe that happens because of COVID or whatnot but that Toronto fans didn't have to sustain eight games in a row right I mean in the sports world that's hard to ask fans to do but you know what in 2019 they did it so that says something about Toronto era's fans and it says it speaks to their desire to support their club um and then uh the only other th- thing that uh, that i wanted to to speak to on, on behalf of the toronto arrows is uh is i the only the only gripe i have and this is minor very minor is uh actually toronto is the closest mlr team distance wise to chicago where i'm at oh. and yeah so and i was i was gonna i was thinking about coming up and watching a gold game up there before everything happened and i i tried getting on to get a one single ticket and like they, they weren't available um ever 
right? So, yeah. you know, it's and, and whether that's just because they have a solid um, fan base where they're selling season tickets and they're selling the heck out of them, they just don't have the room to buy single season tickets or whatnot. So maybe that speaks to that. But, um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm hoping maybe to get up there, take a little drive. <laughs> To get up to Canada and, and, and I wonder, visit. I wonder if they they might have also been holding them back until closer, you know, after you know when it, like maybe like a, a month before that game would have happened. That's interesting. You know, I I, I think back to and I know when when you, everyone says pro rugby, everyone kind of shakes a little bit because of how yeah. much of a disaster it was. But <laughs> I always kind of think, you know, does Ohio ever have a chance of getting a team? Because I loved watching that Ohio team play. Um, I know that's not quite uh, Illinois, but uh, that's a little bit closer to you. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just hoping that something happens here in Chicago very soon. So that's we'll that's also happens. true. <laughs> well, the West <laughs> in general is a bit of a rugby yeah. desert yeah. at the moment. So while Rob obviously is partial to, to Chicago, uh, Killebrew was recently in an interview with uh, um, Magleby, Free Jacks, and uh, he had mentioned a couple of names. He says, "Oh, the momentum's good. The energy's great. People want to get involved. In fact, we're you know we're fielding numerous uh, inquiries from from cities." Um, you know, then he actually mentioned a few, and three of those were Midwest based. Um, no Canadian though. No Canadian city. Uh, in listen, I've <laughs> I've bashed my head against that wall so many times on why there aren't anyone in Vancouver or Victoria or uh, anywhere that can't make that happen, and that's I, I can't hit my head anymore. Well, the logical. I mean, again, we speak as 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 out, relative outsiders to Canadian culture and the rugby. But Vancouver would be a logical bet, right? As proximity to Seattle means it's got an, an, an instant you know, natural rivalry in the conference. Uh, it's also the home of the uh, the Sevens program. So it's got a rugby culture. So, yeah, um, who knows, right? I mean, if it were my choice, I would choose that. That's for sure. Now, this is this is a question for Stu and Derek. How do you guys feel about the team that's been made for the for for the for the field, and especially with the, the three guys that have been added? You know, we've got we've got a new guy in Higgins, and then we've got two guys, Shepard and Sheridan, that are coming back this year. You know, quickly, kind of talk about what the Arrows have done with the team because we've talked about it enough. But I, I want to get your guys' personal feelings about how the arrows are looking going into 2021. Yeah, I think I think um, everyone's kind of touched on it first. It's like one, the big key thing is I think part of what makes the Arrows so good is that they've had the consistency. Um, the roster is like the core of that roster, with the exception of Moore and Malcolm, who are no longer on the team. Um, the core is all back, just similar in a similar fashion to Nola, similar fashion to Rooney. Um, the key players are all back, um, and but even beyond that, the coaching staff is all back too. Um, like you know, it's a uh, Winokur still calling the shots. You have Silver. Thorne, um, Carpenter, like Smith, like everybody, like the core coaching staff is still there. And if the core coaching staff doesn't change, the players don't change. It's like, you don't have to relearn like a new coach's system or a new coach's philosophy all the time. And plus, if you even date that even back further to the Ontario Blues days, it's like all the Arrows players, they're like, this is like ingrained in them the way that um, the Toronto Arrows want to play rugby. Um, I think for me, like having all the players back is great. I think the one thing that 
really strikes me as amazing with this offseason, though, is if you told me as an Arrows fan that Dan Moore and Sam Malcolm would not be on the team in 2021, I would be panicking and be terrified by that. <laughs> but at the same time, if you told me that Juan Cruz Gonzalez and Manuel Montero would be their replacements, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm a little bit more okay with that. Um, Montero, obviously, as we mentioned, man, he is, he's a beast, man. Um, kind of, you know, at the start of his career, unreal strike rate with uh, the Pumas, a uh, little bit of injuries kind of derailed his career. So that's a bit of an unfortunate thing but um like yeah like you know as we kind of mentioned it's me and Stu mentioned when we did our little Dan Moore tribute episode um, that the hardest thing about replacing Dan Moore is going to be the leadership, um, but you can replace his on-field ability. And I think Manuel Montero more than replaces his on-field ability as much as Arrows fans do love Dan Moore. Um, that I think like, you know, Manuel Montero is arguably like he is arguably an upgrade on Moore. Um, and, you know, it's like, there's a lot of other guys that they've been bringing in. Gaston Cortez kind of comes into that, you know, he's going to kind of be like a quasi coach for the team as well. He's obviously a bit of a veteran guys like Cole Keith, um, Tyler Rowland, like they're going to be able to learn a lot from him. Um, even, you know, not, you know, even, you know, if we have even guys like Lynott, like if they're back too, um, he's going to learn a lot from him as well. Asiato learn a lot, even though he's on the opposite side of the scrum. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it also kind of shows like we've been seeing in the city too a little bit of the Arrows culture kind of reflecting in it, where you have guys like Della Vega, Taylor Adams, Leandro Levis, like they've all elected to stay in Toronto during COVID or during the off season. Um, so it's like the the guys that they are bringing in. Uh, obviously, there's a ton of Canadians on the team. There's a ton of local Toronto guys on the team too. But it's like the guys that they're bringing in are completely buying into the program 100%. And you would hope that, you know, Gonzalez, Cortez, Manuel Montero um, are going to do that as well and become an integral part of the Euros culture, Um, you know, and kind of going through that too. um, The Euros are one of those teams that don't necessarily have a ton of holes. Um, But, you know, one thing that they did kind of address is that, you know, in the lineouts, they they don't really have a lineout jumping lock, um, which, you know, Mike Shepard, Paul Cialini, they're excellent locks, but they're also huge. And by being huge, it means, you know, you're kind of tough to get up in the air sometimes. Mike Shepard even joked on um, their own classic show that his role in the lineout is to not be in it. Um, so, you know, which, which isn't necessarily a joke that you typically hear out of a lock, but you know, he's always the guy that carries the ball first. He carries it hard and he helps, you know, give the arrows ground after that lineup, but, uh, bringing in Adrian Wadden, um, f- former Mac, uh, Marauder. Um, but he, will help that like he creates you know he addresses that need um to give you a little bit of extra um and a little bit of extra options in the lineup he like uh, keith and cellini or uh, sorry shepherd and cellini will obviously start but you know wadden comes in and uh he like if he comes in off the bench that's an option um the team is insanely deep as we've talked about you know johnny sheridan um probably won't start a whole lot when you have guys like manuel montero leandro levis guest uh gaston mirez ahead of you um but you know at the same time it's like 
if those guys get hurt, he's still the guy that can come into an MLR game and rattle off 107 meters and set up a try versus Houston. Um, so the depth on the arrows is insane. It's part of the reason why it makes them one of the better teams in the league. Um, so, you know, the, the offseason moves that they have brought in, also bringing in like a little bit of, you know, Siaki Vikilani, um, you know, which is, you know, building that Pacific Pride connection to having guys graduate from the Pride coming over to um, the Toronto Arrows. Um, so that's also a really, really strong acquisition there. Um, so, I mean, if you're an Arrows fan, like it's tough to find an issue looking at the way that this team's been built. Um, so alongside Rooney, they'd be have they'd be another team that'd be having an A off season right now. How do you do you feel? Do you agree with him, Stu? I mean, you yeah. know, yeah, Derek. Uh... Derek basically hit the nail on the head. I think one thing that happened during the off-season, which speaks to the culture of uh, the Arrows, is that there was a rumor going around that uh, the Bristol Bears were had seen the 2019 Rugby World Cup scene. Manu Diana playing and we're thinking like, oh, maybe we could take him. And as soon as that rumor came out, I was like, well, how can you compete with Bristol money? Like, if they if they want him, they can like sign him up for three seasons and pay in cash. And yet, a few weeks ago, we obviously see on the re-signing this that he's uh, doing another season in Toronto as well. And as a Brit, it's been difficult to explain to my friends back in the UK of how after a game you can go to Williams Landing in Toronto and 20 to 30 minutes later, um, all of the Toronto Arrows have turned up. They're obviously there for their post-game meal, but they're interacting with the fans. They're sharing a drink with them, you know, that community feel. Because if I was to say to my friend who's a Saracens supporter, can you imagine um, going to the pub after a game and just sharing a pint with Owen Farrell for free is completely blows their mind. And it, it does. And it builds into the community feel. It's that it's not only that, Oh, these are players. It's like, these are people that, uh, you know, they going through their things and we're there to support them. And, especially in the time of ever-growing professionalism where like money is the deciding factor that human feel has made a world of difference especially uh for the arrows and and unfortunately i did plan on going to um a few away games in uh, dc and possibly uh new york to um seeing what their approach after a game would have been to have a bit of comparison that's now unfortunately gonna have to wait till at uh, the very earliest next season, possibly later down the line, depends what my bank account says. But uh, but hopefully, I want them to retain this community feel for as long as possible. Because as it's been said, that there is this community support, a grassroots support that wants to see the arrows do well. And I like it to expand to other teams, but obviously that's uh, yet to be seen. But hopefully, it can. The fact that you lost out on seeing Bastereau have a post-game meal is 
quite a sad thought there. To that point, though, it's one of the things that has made rugby in North America in general quite unique in the sporting culture. Obviously, it's a sport-saturated market between the U.S. and Canada. There's plenty of sport that they can watch at a high level, but they don't have access to players like they do in rugby. You know, so it's quite unique, and that should be uh, explored by all clubs, you know, the list can go on of how many clubs are already doing it, but until we're at every club doing it and humanizing the players, uh, I guess you're just missing such a wonderful opportunity to be able to grow the game. You know, say what you will about the financial dealings of the Toronto Wolfpack and all the shenanigans that have been happening behind closed doors. But the one thing that they really did get right is the accessibility of the Wolfpack after a game. You know, in the first couple seasons, the Wolfpack would even stay on the field and have drinks with fans at the beer garden at Lamport Stadium. And the, the players like Ashton Sims was great about going up to some of the youth and having them come on the pitch and giving them his cleats and stuff like that and I think that uh, MLR teams need to keep notice of, of, of how they ran their uh, off after game business you know and I think that's something that I can grow to um, but guys we're going to wrap up now um, Robin Ty thank you so much for coming Thanks this, for was, having this us. was a great Thanks. opportunity now if any of our uh, listeners want to uh, find you guys where can they find you well, uh, they can find us on our social media accounts, uh, Twitter, Instagram, under the and of course also Facebook under the handle Rugby Rant Pod, and uh, you can follow our page where uh, on Facebook we will show all of our live interviews uh, every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll be doing a live interview, what we call Run, Pass, or Kick. Rob is actually the man who will deliver the questions in that format, where the guest either gets the opportunity to run with the answer and answer the question should I say pass on it simply sidestep that one move on to the next it's always entertaining to be able to see them do that and uh, or to kick it to kick it would be to kick it back to one of us and uh, we'll answer on their behalf so that's very very popular every Wednesday you can see it on Facebook uh, page under the uh, handle of once again at the uh, rugby rant pod or the MLR fan zone they'll be shared to both those groups and um, we also do, in addition to that, the Rugby Rants, and they will be the Rugby Debate episode. Uh, so we're just a similar format to what you guys had here as we talk about the hot topics in rugby, and we kind of break it down for MLR fans to get a better and more in-depth understanding about the topics. And, uh, yeah, that'll uh, be released every Sunday as well. So we're relaunching this September uh, sorry, this September 2nd. I'll let Rob tell you about that interview, though, because he arranged that one. Yeah, so we're fortunate. Uh, we've made arrangements to have uh, assistant coach for, for the LA franchise, uh, Stephen Hoyles, is going to be joining us uh, live. So we're excited to have him uh, join us and tell us a little bit about his role and what, um, you know, what the LA franchise is it going to be the Giltinis? We don't know. Uh, and dig into that a little bit. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, and uh, uh, former MLR player um, Chris Shade will be joining us on the rant. Chris is, uh, I mean, his personality is as big as his heart and his and and uh, a prop should be. Um, he's a great guy, and uh, he's going to be a welcome a welcome guest to join us on the rant. So we're excited, and, and then of course uh, we have a new sponsor. 
Um, Ty's been working hard on her sponsor. Uh, people can't Canadian sponsor, by the way. Canadian sponsor, that's <laughs> right. Uh, the rugbyshop.com. The rugbyshop.com is going to be uh, is, is our new sponsor, and um, we're excited to partner with them. And I think we're going to be having a merch line come out, too, so that's super exciting. And they, they put out great stuff. I've, I know I've spent a good chunk of change there myself. Um, well, guys, um, you can follow us on the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are active on all three. And, you know, we, we post uh, our, our podcast there. And also any, any news coming up with Canadian Rugby, you'll find it there. So, um, gentlemen, everyone, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully in the next few weeks we'll get some more news and we'll be able to uh, get together at another time. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah.